0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to On the Nose, the Jewish Currents podcast. This is Ari Brostoff. I'm a senior editor at Jewish Currents, and today we are going to be talking about the Jews. By the Jews, I don't just mean any Jews, but the capital T, capital J Jews, as they were imagined in Dave Chappelle's Saturday Night Live monologue on November 12th, in which Chappelle addressed Kanye West and Kyrie Irving's recent anti-Semitic outbursts in a monologue that some viewers thought was anti-Semitic in its own right. The controversial segment made it clear that part of what's at stake in this escalating discourse is actually about the long, fraught entanglements of Blackness and Jewishness in American comedy. Where do Black and Jewish comedy shade into each other? What kinds of humor get produced where they meet? Who is it for? And when is it funny? I have three guests with me today who have agreed to take on the grave task of spending an hour analyzing 10 minutes worth of Dave Chappelle jokes and using them as an entry point into the deep structures of American entertainment. My guests are the writer, Jasmine Sanders, writer and co-host of the Know Your Enemy podcast, Sam Adler Bell, and filmmaker, essayist, and comedy writer, Rebecca Pierce, who is also a contributing writer at Jewish Currents. So going to start with a question for Rebecca. Rebecca, you said before we started recording that as a comedian, all of this is actually so funny. At risk of making you explain a joke, I'm wondering if you can say why.
1: One of the fundamental ideas in comedy is escalation. So this idea that your joke grows and grows with every kind of beat, and that's, like, the root of humor. And I would say that this is a constantly escalating situation, whether it's, like, Kanye's behavior, Kyrie jumping in with, like, this documentary that's, like, Holocaust denial, like, Hebrews, Negroes, whatever, and then Chappelle going on SNL and, like, blowing it up even further. That, in a way, is
0: pure comedy
2: it has the structure of a joke
0: it has the structure of a joke (laughs) do people think that the Chappelle sketch itself was funny
3: i feel like you can't like talk about it independently almost like he kind of hasn't been funny in years and the closest he can come to humor is like sort of an examination
0: of his own like current class position where did you see that coming through where do you see class in his monologue like, when he talks about, like, rich people problems, like, being canceled,
3: his, like, biggest problem is, like, I can't say what I want to say. He's not expressing, like, any sort of, like, alignment or, like, like they're, they're, you know what I mean? Like, what solidarity is he expressing with, like, other Black people that aren't rich? Like, what benefit it is, is it going to give me for, like, Dave Chappelle and Kanye West to be able to, like, spew whatever they want? Or, like, how wow. would that benefit my life? You know what I mean? It's kind of like he just wants the freedom to be, like, an ass. As like a rich person with a platform, and I can't. I, really, I like. I can't figure out like what would be the benefit to anyone who's not like rich and has a similar platform.
2: I thought it was funny. I thought it was really funny, and that doesn't mean that it is obviously. <laughs> but I think there was something that struck me about it, which I realized when I was watching it is that a lot of this whole discussion about Kanye and Kyrie and anti semitism. What I found really strange about it as a Jewish person was that I felt like every time I talked to Jews in my life about it, we would just make jokes about it. And then when you go online, it's like, Greenblatt from the ADL and like 100 tweet threads being like here's all the racist things these black celebrities are saying and I feel so bad and I feel so endangered and I just felt like the distance between that experience for myself and what was actually happening in my friend groups and with my family and stuff was like really weird to me I didn't really know how to articulate what was weird about it but then when I watched the Chappelle thing I realized what was weird about it is that everyone was being so fucking serious about it And, like, it is a really super complicated, naughty situation that we're gonna have a much more sophisticated conversation about, like, in a few minutes. But the thing that I enjoyed about the Chappelle monologue is that it was like saying, we can still make jokes about this. And I think one of the things about (laughs) this is like something I said to Ari that, like, doomed me to have this conversation, but like, was that. I feel like watching it and then thinking about why I had been so confused about the whole situation beforehand and about this new round of anxiety about anti-Semitism, I realized that I maybe have a new heuristic for like whether I feel like we're at an okay place with anti-Semitism in America, which is that it is very important to me that anti-Semitic jokes are funny. And if they're not funny we're in trouble. (laughs) Like, we're not safe enough if anti-Semitic jokes aren't funny. As a Jew, I mean that, like, for Jews, like, joking, doing anti-Semitic jokes, that's our bread and butter. We're always making jokes about being Jews and what it means to be a Jew, including, like, about how we're in danger, like, how we're afraid, and how, like, like, jokes about death are just, like, so important to Jewish humor. And so even though like Chappelle's himself, not Jewish. And so like, there's the whole question of like, are you in inside enough of this community in order to feel comfortable making jokes about it? But for me, I just felt like, I felt like it was funny. And that made me feel more safe because I was like, okay, I actually do think we're at a place where the Jews are not so in danger that I don't think this is funny. (laughs) Like, that's not the end or the beginning of this discussion, but it is something that I felt.
1: I think like what is interesting for me in this situation and with Chappelle in general, it's like, what are we laughing at? And what is laughter doing in this in this space? And I think yeah. a lot of people who like the Chappelle, including a lot of like, Jewish people who like the Chappelle monologue, were reacting to the relief that comes from laughter. Yes. We've all been holding in this tension around this issue. And I have like a lot of like white Jewish friends who respond to me about how they're like afraid from this. And I'm like, I'm not quite afraid. I think it's like ignorant. You know, but like I think the having the ability to laugh, especially when you've been afraid or when you've been told that you should feel afraid, or when you're anxious or uncomfortable, there's a huge relief in that. And I think a lot of people are reacting to that relief. And like just to, to go back to your question, Ari, what what the times that I did laugh in this monologue were when Chappelle's talking about his relationship with Jewish people growing up. And like that joke about Shana Na, Shabbat and like, you know, and the alienness and familiarity of this relationship between Black and Jewish people. Cause I, I do think sometimes we focus a lot on like the ways that we're alienated from each other and not the like the ways that our communities do interact in ways that are objectively funny sometimes. And when when the laughter becomes a problem for me is when it's turning away or giving us permission not to think deeper. About an issue at hand. And I do think Chappelle and his oeuvre in general has had this problem of using laughter to be like where a conversation ends when he says something that's incredibly loaded, whether it's about trans people or like other groups. It's like the laughter is a stopping point, it's where the conversation ends. You know, the the monologues at the beginning of a show, right, at SNL. And so the idea is it's opening up something. Uh But I don't think that what he was actually saying about the Kanye and Kyrie situation was opening much of a discussion other than one that he wants to have, which is about who's allowed to say what and, like, what can I get away with without having consequences personally? Because that's what he related it all back to in the
2: end. At the end, yeah.
3: I was thinking about what you just said, Sam. Like, earlier in the year, I wrote about Margot Jefferson, so I was reading a bunch of her, like, old stuff. And she writes really intelligently and, like, provocatively, I think, about, like, comedy traditions and the history of race and, like, ethnicity. And so... I found in my notes this quote where she says, if a group's status in America is fairly secure, ethnicity becomes a matter of style. But if the group's status is perpetually up for grabs or periodically up for grabs or even in question, every guffaw is attached to a social or political judgment. Mm, And then she goes on to talk about all in the family. And it does feel like, it reminded me of something that you said about like, Jewish people are in trouble if like, you can't laugh at the joke. Like it would mean that your status here is like, so unsecure.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I also think like comedy like relating to what Rebecca just said about the relief of tension is something that I feel like people really miss about what comedy does including like these sort of like libertarian comedian types who are like I'm like a dangerous person who says dangerous things and if you don't like it like fuck you. That's what comedians are and there's an extent to which that's true in the sense of like the figure of the jester is the person who can like make fun of the king without getting killed. But actually the reason it works, the reason a joke works is because it relieves tension. Like, you know, Freud wrote this like impenetrable book about jokes, which like, it's hard to recommend because it's so annoying. But he's right about the fact that the structure of a joke is about like pointing to contradiction, pointing to real wounds, like on all sides. And often like there are people in a room who might have tension with each other which the joke points to and the function of the joke is to find a way to kind of sublimate ambivalence into laughter. But like the thing about that, like Rebecca, that you were saying is like, it doesn't solve it. It doesn't solve the problem, but what it might do, if it's effective, is create a sense of community in a moment, in a particular place. And the weird thing about comedy is that like stand-up comedy is supposed to happen in a room, you know, like with other people. And, like, you think about how when you go see comedy, how much more generous you are than you would be maybe, like, if you just saw something on TV or whatever. And for Chappelle to be on SNL, that's, like, the biggest room you could be in for comedy. And the question of whether or not it works is, like, what we're talking about here. But I think the the intention and kind of, I guess, like, just totally subjectively why I found it so rewarding was that I felt that it was really effective at doing what jokes do well when it was funny, which was say, like, this is so fucking messy. Like, it's really messy. And everybody who's been talking about it has been talking about it like it's simple. You know, like, there's all these black celebrities who are anti-Semitic, and that's the problem. Or, like, black people can't be anti-Semitic because of oppression. And it's like, a joke can point to the fact, like, that this is so fucked up and messy. And if it works, it's like, for Freud, it's like this encounter between our unconscious understanding that, like, this is, like, an irresolvable contradiction and... Our kind of desire to feel a relief from tension. And that's what a joke does.
3: I think the reason I don't find like Chappelle's bit funny is because like his joke kind of is not funnier than the situation itself. Mm. Which is like yeah. there are two black celebrities. One of them's like a unmedicated mole person who's like spewing shit on Twitter. And then <laughs> another one's talking about this documentary. Like he's like a multimillionaire NBA player who was like a flat earther at one point and now he's talking about this insane documentary. And then, like, millions of people on Twitter are like, oh, my God, we have to leave the country. because You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. kind of the situation itself is funnier than the yeah.
2: joke. Yeah. I feel like it would be productive to talk about a few of the jokes. I mean, some of them are just stupid, silly ones. But, like, when he said Kanye got in so much trouble, Kyrie got in trouble. It's not what happened. But it's funny for the reason Jasmine was saying. Like, it, it is pointing to this, this like, there's this echelon of rich black celebrity where it's like <laughs> Kanye got in so much trouble that Kyrie also got in trouble as if like these are just the same things you know that's
3: kind of like like celebrity racism like that's yeah. like the, the racism that like black yeah. celebrities yeah. will experience is like you say something fucked up and now I <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have to respond to it yeah you know I'm willing to be convinced and I'm actually already becoming convinced by the things that Rebecca was saying about how like ultimately it's all about license for him it's all about escaping accountability for the things that he's said in the past but during the monster just as its own thing. He kind of was doing this thing where he was like going in one group's direction and making them feel good and then kind of like cutting it off and then like pointing to this other contradiction. So like he's making this interesting complicated point that other people have made. It's like you can't blame black people for Jewish suffering. You can't blame Kyrie for the Holocaust. Kyrie was nowhere near the Holocaust. And then he says... He's not even sure it happened.
1: (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. I think for me where it became, and this is a different metric, like unhelpful. When he's talking about Kanye saying there's a bunch of Jews in Hollywood, that's not a crazy thing to think, but it's a crazy thing to say in this climate. Like Kanye did a lot more than just say there's a lot of Jews in Hollywood. Kanye responded, like this all began earlier than the Defcon 3 tweet. This started with Kanye posting a message from Diddy, to his Instagram where he responded to Diddy telling like, why are you out here with Candace Owens wearing a White Lives Matter shirt? And Kanye responds to that like, did the Jews put you up to this basically? Mm-hmm. So Kanye's, Kanye's anti-Semitism starts as a defense mechanism for his anti-Black reactionary MAGA politics. And like what's potentially dangerous about this is the relationship that this has to like an ideology of violence that targets both Black and Jewish people That Kanye somehow, while he claims to be both Black and Jewish, isn't actually aligning himself with either of those groups of people when it comes to, like, oppression, because he's rich and that's his end to all of this, is, like, making a lot of money and relating more to, like, MAGA-type politics because he doesn't want to pay taxes or whatever, you know? But when you reduce the time to, like, he's just noticing what's already out there, that's, like, reducing and sort of acting like we don't know stuff that we know. Like, and it was, for some people, it was objectively funny, is that laughter that that elicits, helpful in this moment. And if that's a tall order to ask of comedy. I don't think comedy is going to fix everything. But I think at the very least, it should be like, like journalism, you know, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And even as Kanye loses billions of dollars, he's still a rich person Who's like exercising all this anti-Semitism really in a this weird kind of defense mechanism of his ego and status?
0: I think that there's like a interesting kind of narcissism of small differences thing going on between Kanye and Chappelle that you see in the Chappelle monologue too, where like mm. I don't know what their actual relationship is with each other. I mean,
2: he said he always he always pulls up when Kanye gets in trouble, except for this time.
1: Kanye is big break. For me, when I first knew who he was, was Chappelle Show. Me too. Chappelle me too. Show.
2: Yeah.
0: So yeah. And I think that they they come from a similar cultural background. They both come from the Black middle class. Uh, They both come from like- Very like,
3: um, almost like radical Black mothers. Yeah, exactly. Black, almost like Black revolutionary mothers in the way that's like kind of like alarming to see, which is why
0: I, I think I keep coming back to like, the situation itself is so much funnier. I think like where I'm seeing the narcissism of small differences thing is like, Kanye becomes a Trump guy and Chappelle becomes like an Andrew Yang guy. (laughs) <laughs> Which means like just as obnoxious, but with the distinction that he thinks that he's smarter. So in this case, I think he sees himself and Kanye as both being like truth tellers uh, in the midst of bullshit, but he also sees Kanye as being like a dupe and sees himself uh, as being like the smart one. And I actually did think that it was like, funny in a bunch of moments and like also that it was kind of mild overall like there were some jokes that he made that i was like Billy Crystal could say this at the oscars and like nobody would blink but like the moments that actually like got under my skin were the moments that felt like really condescending and i think this is like also where some of the class stuff comes in that Jasmine was talking about where it kind of feels like what he's implicitly saying is that he's the black rich guy who's comfortable enough being rich that he's comfortable being around Jewish power and that, <laughs> like, other Black celebrities, and I think Kyrie in particular, because he's so young and, like, you know, seems like he's like a little bit clueless, are kind of like, they're not really insiders. And so, yeah, there was just this kind of like clubby, winky, like, here I am on SNL in the center of actual power. You're all in and on the joke with me, right, guys? And it was like, oh, who are you winking at? Like, and again, like going back to what Jasmine was saying before, it feels like the wink is to just like other smug rich people. At the beginning of the monologue, he opens with that
1: statement of like, I stand out against anti-Semitism. I support all my Jewish brothers and sisters or whatever. That's all you had to say, Kanye. Like what Kanye's mistake in his mind is like not knowing when to shut up about it and not knowing what, what to say the right thing. And that's it. And not like this anti-Semitism that is getting all this attention was the extension of these far-right politics that we've been seeing for a long time. Also, you know, this whole thing with him, you know, it's been revealed that he was at TMZ saying shit about Hitler. Wait, can you explain the TMZ thing? Someone from behind the scenes at TMZ said that Kanye had showed up at their offices with the Kardashians when he was with Kim Kardashian and have made, it's not clear what exactly was said, but like praising statements towards Hitler and like Nazis. And this was on camera and not released by TMZ and sort of covered up, it's implied by like TMZ and the Kardashian corporation.
2: I mean, it's interesting to think about this where Chappelle is situating himself in relation to like the lowly idiotic Trump person like Kanye versus himself who's like still despite his semi cancellation for being a transphobe gets to host SNL. On the other hand, there's a whole part of the monologue that's about Trump and Trumpism and the appeal that he feels that he has a real unique access to from living amongst all these white people in Ohio. I thought that part about Trump, about Trump as the honest liar, was actually fucking brilliant. I thought it was so great.
1: As close to the old Chappelle that I missed from my youth that I've seen in a long time.
2: So like, you know, for the listener, his whole concept of Trump as the honest liar is that In 2016, Trump is running for office and he's up there on stage, on the debate stage, and he's saying, of course the system is rigged. And then Obama and Hillary Clinton, you know, are saying like, no, it's not. And you know, Chappelle is watching he's like, that's not true, of course it's rigged. And then his whole concept is the idea that like- Trump says, I know it's
1: rigged because I use it.
2: Because I use it, that's so good. And he's right, that is part of the appeal. And what he says is like, Trump is the guy who came out of the house, the house where all the elite craziness is happening and said everything that you guys, you the rabble think is happening in there, it is happening in there. And then he went back inside and kept playing the game. I mean, that's that is partially what was so great about Trump.
0: And then he pulls out his Illuminati
2: membership card and does a line of cocaine. Cuts up a lot, line of cocaine and does it on camera. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, which is the one moment in the in the monologue that I actually laughed out loud. Like yes, it's yeah. a good joke. And that also made me think about this insider, outsider, like clubhouse kind of humor. Is like what's so funny about that is like he's actually like naming the clubhouse. What's
1: interesting, though, is the clubhouse that he's talking about is what a lot of people you know place the
2: blame on Jews for. And that's a slippage in the monologue.
1: You know, if we were really trying to break the shit down, which like, you know, maybe that's not Chappelle's goal. Maybe that's not the goal of comedy, whatever. I think the making that linkage would have turned this from something that's like about his own interest in protecting himself cr- from critique and limiting how far critique can go to something that's actually generative of like, it's the system that's the issue. And when you make Jews the issue you're doing service for that system in addition to like being anti-Jewish.
2: There is a joke from it that I think is one of the most complex and potentially doesn't work, but because it's so complex, it's really useful, is the one where he says, I was in Hollywood, I saw there's a lot of Jews. But you know, that doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of black people in Ferguson, Missouri, doesn't mean we run the place. That's a hilarious joke, right? It's a hilarious joke. And it's funny because you see people clap and you wonder, are they clapping because they think like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe the Jews don't run Hollywood, but no, the Jews do run Hollywood, you know, like in a way that is not at all comparable, right? So he's also introducing this internal contradiction to the joke, which is like that there is a difference, like there is a difference. It doesn't resolve the contradiction, but it's pointing to, from his perspective, it seems to me, like that this is an unresolved thing. It's like what black people suffer as a result of being the predominant population of Ferguson and not running it and what Jews suffer for people pointing out that there's a lot of them in Hollywood. These are, not, like, these are not commensurate harms, you know? Like, they're not comparable harms. And, like, that doesn't mean that it's okay to give in to stereotypes about Jews running the media or whatever, but that's kind of internal to that joke, which just makes it so powerful.
3: The way that I, like, first became aware of, like, black people seem to have weird feelings about, like, white Jewish people. It was group-like <laughs> rap and hip-hop. Like, I remember Jay-Z's, like, all the songs he talks about, like, I would have a black bar mitzvah. And, like, I was like, they think something's happening here. Like, they seem to think something. And I remember, like, Russell Simmons saying, like, something similar. It's kind of saying, you think I've done really well for yourselves, or something. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you have a lot of things.
2: It's aspirational.
3: (laughs) And so for a while, it was hard for me to understand, which, I don't know, maybe it is for, like, a lot of black people. I don't know. Or, like, people in general understand how it is an anti-semitic like white supremacist
2: trope well it's like donald trump is a trope in rap too right donald trump has a lot of money we want to be like donald trump and then donald trump getting in trouble for being on stage at like some jewish republican convention and saying i only let jewish people deal with my money which could have been in a rap song (laughs)
0: yeah right yeah
2: i mean this is a tangled knot
0: trump's lied about i only let jewish people deal with my money could be in a rap lyric, and it also could be a Jewish joke. And like, exactly. it's almost like there's this kind of like well of humor that's like it, like I almost don't know quite what to call it because it doesn't belong only to anyone. It like belongs to this whole web of race and class dimensions. Yeah. I think another place that we saw this happen was with the video that came out where Kanye, this is like a couple weeks after his uh, initial meltdown, where Kanye says, I got misdiagnosed by a doctor and I'm not going to say what group the doctor is from. And then he like uh, continues on his rant. And then as though he just cannot help himself, he like <laughs> crosses his arms and goes, it was a Jewish doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, in that case, I think it's actually really hard not to call it a Jewish joke. No. <laughs> Have any
3: of you read Oreo by Fran Ross? She's a Black Jewish woman who was a comedy writer for Richard Pryor. And so her book starts with, she talks about how, like, this Jewish woman found out that her son was marrying a Black woman and she died. Like, the Jewish mother dies. And then <laughs> and she goes, like, when the Black woman tells her Black father that she's marrying a Jewish boy, his body freezes permanently in, like, a half (laughs) plastic. so, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, there are people who can do it.
2: Yeah. Like, we were talking earlier about how comedy, by pointing to contradictions and then relieving tension, can generate community. But the other thing is that a lot of Jewish jokes function on, you only get it if you're Jewish. A great example of this is, like, here's a Jewish joke. Two Gentiles meet in the street. And one of them says to the other, how's business? And the other one says, it's fine. That's the whole joke. (laughs) Because they're not complaining. That's it. That's the whole joke. And like, you know, that's not a particularly funny one. But it like identifies this thing, which is sometimes a Jewish joke functions specifically by like, outsiders won't get this. A lot of jokes function that way. Like, you won't get this if you're not inside this.
1: Black and Jewish humor does have this function. And it, I think, also shares the contradiction of visibility and becoming kind of everybody's humor. Like, Mm. the visibility of of Black entertainers, whether it's, like, hip-hop or comedy or film, or if you look at, like, online culture, this is definitely true, Black in jokes become everyone's vernacular. And like, because of the history of Jewish folks working in vaudeville, working in radio, working in TV, working in comedy, a lot of Jewish humor and Yiddish, and like in the theater world as well, becomes part of everyone's vernacular. So it's this weird inside-outside thing where everyone's in on our jokes, but also not. At the same time, you have the hard other side of comedy, whereas on one hand, it can relieve tension and bring people together. On the other hand, it's it's a space for identifying who's in and who's out. And excusing and endorsing the ideologies of oppression. And like when Black folks are the butt of the joke and Chappelle was part of this in some cases, like giving white people permission to laugh at Black yeah. people, the consequences of that yeah. are our are, are experiences are not taken seriously. And for Jew, I think a lot of Jewish folks who are stressed out about Chappelle or Kanye, there's the feeling of that happening.
2: Jews are being minstrelized.
1: In some ways, you know, it's like hard because like you can't make a one-to-one between the experience of anti-Semitism and racism, but they are functioning under... The same umbrella of like systems and they're rooted in a lot of the same ideas and i think jews mm. were an early other in europe prior to colonization and the, the consequences powers, yeah. of that are the holocaust which happened within the last century at the same time jewish people in the united states today are living in a totally different reality than folks were in poland in germany in the 1930s so it's like that's why this is all so loaded and messy and like on the other hand you've got to be real about where are we as jews where are we as black people And I'm speaking from both and neither, you know, at the same time when I'm saying this, like, where are we actually in relation to each other? And that becomes really tricky to, like, speak about Mm. in these moments, especially because with Kanye, there were, like, Nazis waiting to pounce on that and be like, Kanye was right. Yeah. You know, so it's like, we can't even have that honest conversation about what, how are we relating to each other? Because white Christian, like, fascists are jumping in to, like, take advantage.
2: And I think the thing you were saying about how there's an encounter between Jews and black people in the entertainment industry, which provides a shared set of humorous tropes and also a shared set of kind of insider-outsider relationship to the mainstream popular culture, that's also totally at stake here because, like, really what's happening when Kanye, like, fires his agents and hates them because they're Jewish is because like there was this thing that happened right with with the entertainment industry where Jews were in a position of power which they weren't originally they were just also vaudevillians but then now they are and then when black people came into a position of you know relative visibility in the entertainment industry then they were working with Jews and so like the thing that creates the tension in this particular example of, like, Hollywood, Jews, Black entertainers, it starts in this, this shared kind of history of being on the outside, but then the tension that is recreated has to do with the fact that, like, Jews have risen higher, <laughs> you know?
1: Beyond
3: representation into to, yes. like, actual power. Yeah. Has There's,
1: There's, anyone watched Atlanta? In the latest season, there's this episode where Paperboy, he's at a bar mitzvah. The father comes up and is like, I'll pay you like a million dollars to like hang out with my son who wants to be a rapper and like help him be a rapper. And then through this, Paperboy is approached by another OG rapper at the studio where all these white kids are rapping and like making like awful, god awful TikTok rap. He's like, you know, you could be, you're making a million, you could be making 10 if you like manage these kids. And they end up becoming managers for young, what they call young white avatars Then Paperboy is repping this kid who's like always drunk, always like at risk, and eventually that kid dies. But I was like, this is like the most interesting nuanced take on like the black Jewish entertainment. Their
2: roles are switched historically. They switched
1: it and it's like and I can see in a lot of ways Jewish people who at one point are under the same, like, racially restrictive housing covenants that Black folks are, like, being banned from, you know, living in certain neighborhoods, banned from certain work, and then are able, because of, like, the ability to assimilate into whiteness, able to then move themselves forward, and they end up in these, like, sometimes exploitative relationships with people who, at one point, the relationship with was different. It was just, like, that for me, that's the best way that I've seen this tackled at all, because it's not about pointing fingers, and it's not about, like, blaming jews or whoever it's about this encounter and how do we encounter each other and how does one effort to like move yourself forward like what's the cost of that you know
3: but it's like if it's going to be put into those terms of like this like racial or ethnic other who sort of has to become white in this country is that innately different from every white ethnic in this country i don't know how Mm to distinguish that from like the Italian-American trajectory, right. or, like, you know, the, God bless the Irish, I love them so much, but, you know, you like, they've been through a lot, too, like, <laughs> I know that, like, a Jewish person and a white person are not synonymous, however, like, in the context that they're talking about, it is,
2: Yeah. like, they're not
3: talking I- about, like, jewish Palestinians. you know what I mean, like, that's not yeah, what yeah. they're talking about, and that's not the context in
1: which they're working. And also, you can talk about, like, power and control are, like, the currency that's being sort of traded on when we're talking about this stuff. And so that's for me, that's why anti-Semitism is like something we do really need to talk about because it's like, why should Jews have this scrutiny that like Irish, Italian, whoever Americans
2: don't have? Well, I think part of what I was reminded of by what Jasmine was saying is that like the problem with anti-Semitism core to its structure is that it simultaneously, historically identifies the Jew as powerful and weak, right? The Jew is a secret overlord and an insect to be crushed. So there's this contradiction in, like, how can the Jew be the overpowerful person and to call them that— is anti-Semitic at the same time that it's, it was anti-Semitic in the 1930s and 40s to say that the Jews were like an infestation. Obviously, that contradiction serves a political purpose, a psychological purpose in different times, but that's inherent to, to anti-Semitism in a way that it isn't inherent to other kinds of racial or ethnic animosities. That complicates the matter. We're, we're comfortable saying, like, Italians make the best pasta, you know? But, like, people get a little antsy when you say... Jews make the best movies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, wait, wait. Host is actually Italian.
2: And and a certain kind of, like, entertainment in the American context is Jewish. And there are some Jewish comedians who will say, like, yeah, we make the movies. Like, do you like the movies? They're good, right? All right, enjoy.
3: (laughs) I think it's also important that, like, in talking about American entertainment, like, the genesis and, like, Alpha Omega Ground Zero of American entertainment is always going to be Minstrelsy and Blackface. And so... It yep. is interesting to think about mm. how like this is like a lynchpin of like black people and like people who are like no one can figure out if they're white or not.
1: Like there were Jewish entertainers like Al Jolson
2: who elevated
1: themselves through blackface.
2: Absolutely. So right. I don't know. It's Ari, settle this for us. Explain it to us. <laughs> fix it. I can't
0: it. I can't I can't I can't fix this part, but I <laughs> I I can't fix something else. So I thought the two best jokes in the monologue, which I think were next to each other, were a group of Italians is a mafia, a group of Black people is a gang, a group of Jewish people is a coincidence. A coincidence. <laughs> we should uh, never talk about it. You can never talk about it. And then also he says there's two words that you can't say next to each other. In America. And those words are the and Jews, which yeah. was is a great joke because I thought That the two words were going to be Jewish and media, which is such a like, duh, like you're just explaining the premise of the joke. That's not a joke. And the idea of one of the words being the, is just like very funny. I mean, it points to like these gaps in American language for talking about Jewish power, essentially and Jewish groupness. I mean, really the technical non-joke way of delivering that joke would be to say that a gang is a, a euphemistic way that people refer to black people gathering in groups in order to not say the word black when they are being racist against black people gathering in groups but there's a way that like there's no such euphemism that exists it's just Jews a group of Jews it's just the Jews and like there was this very uncanny moment where like monday night so like a couple nights after the monologue came out. There's this like really complicated tenant organizing situation on my block right now that centers on a bunch of like essentially Jewish gangsters who have been employed by a landlord to push a a Black tenant out of his home so that he can flip the building. And it's a really long story, but there was like an altercation between some people in the house who are yeshiva students and uh, like other neighbors. And there was this moment where the tenant that this landlord was trying to push out, who's an older black guy, was like trying to-
2: Describe these people?
0: He was trying to talk about the people that were 15 feet away from us and like uh, making like uh, animal noises at us. He knew that he wasn't supposed to say the Jews, but he (laughs) didn't know what to- call them and it was and so he just like very politely like broke off in the middle of a sentence and whispered to me like what am I like what uh (laughs) like like try to like like it was like help and I think the word he was actually looking for was like Hasidim but I kind of like oh like I don't actually know if that's better so I was just like students and he's like yes (laughs) the students students Oh my God, like literally the
2: joke came to life.
0: Well, I'm not sure if I can say Jew.
2: The way you just said it, I didn't feel comfortable.
1: <laughs> oh, you did. not <get laughs> mess, me. mess with her. <laughs> Jasmine, you, you have <laughs> my... There is the sensitivity, like what you're pointing to around Jewish people that I think like in some ways it's right that we're sensitive because language and the role of that played in fascism. But also there's like a distinct lack of sensitivity when you're talking about Black people. There's a distinct lack of sensitivity when you're talking about people who are like the focus of like white supremacy in this country and our whole system and culture is organized around directing violence and negativity towards black folks and i think like a lot of people in the jewish community i've heard including like Sarah silverman and others will will sort of act like it's the opposite case that everyone's up in arms when something happens to black people and no one cares when it's about the jews i think every group can fall into this like everyone cares about everyone else no one cares about us thing I feel like
3: always they're talking about Black people. They are. Like, it's like, why don't people care about anti-Semitism? It's like, what you're not going to say is, and they care about racism, or they care about it. That's totally right.
2: That's totally right.
3: Like, after a Trump presidency, it's kind of galling to me that somehow the bastions of anti-Semitism are now, like, an aging comedian... Been like a kind of
2: illiterate rapper, you're so fucking right.
1: America gets off on punishing black people for shit that everyone else is and doing. Correcting
3: them. Like, people do have a real desire to like correct and punish black people in public, like, sort of publicly like hide them, like, which I felt was in play with the with the Whoopi Goldberg thing. Like, there's a yeah, well, that life.
2: was, oh, cool. yeah.
1: At the same time, this is all happening. Trump is out here doubling down on his, the Jews are ungrateful to me. And he's running for
3: president again. If I were a Jewish person, which I wish I were, and sometimes I think I may be, (laughs) I would be really, I would like really be suspicious of myself if I decided that like, yes, the pinnacle of anti-Semitism is black people.
2: Mm-hmm. Like yeah. but
3: that, too, Like I would just be like, like you have you have had an actual fascist president and not saying that like obviously ideology makes these things possible, but
2: it's like, yeah. It's 100% true that, that like anti-Semitism is a problem in, in America, in the world more so than in America. And we need to find somebody, find somebody to punish for it. It's like Kanye and Kyrie, perfect. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Perfect. But I wanted to say, because it's moving in this direction, that like one of the things that sucks so much about this whole situation and it sucked about the reaction to the Dave Chappelle thing that made me kind of like get back into my corner of being like, no, it is fucking funny. It actually is funny. Is that like Jonathan Greenblatt, at the ADL, tweets out, we shouldn't expect Dave Chappelle to serve as society's moral compass, but it's disturbing to see SNL not just normalize, but popularize hashtag antisemitism. <laughs> Why are Jewish sensitivities denied or diminished at almost every turn? Why does our trauma trigger applause? It drives me crazy. And I also think the problem for me is that the ADL's investment in Jewish victimhood is not an innocent investment, right? So like when the gatekeepers of Jewish victimhood are people who are invested in it for the sake of absolving Israel from killing Palestinians, then my investment in Jewish victimhood makes me feel so fucked up. Like, I don't want Jewish victimhood. And this is also where I feel like, like Zionism is not funny. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this is not a controversial thing to say, but Zionism is not funny. And in part, what I think that I was saying earlier is that like part of what it means to be a Jew is to laugh with some kind of pain. We laugh with some kind of sorrow. We laugh because we're outsiders. We laugh because of the wrongs. And in some ways, it feels like the project of Zionism is to make anti-Semitism not funny, to make the Jews not funny, Because no one could laugh at a Jew when they have the right to kill anybody who challenges their right to be a Jew. You know, I'm not asking anybody to agree with this. But I I was talking to somebody recently. He converted to Catholicism. And he was talking to a friend of his who's Jewish. And he was like, I'm happy for you. You know, it's good. But, you know, like there is a problem, which is that like the New Testament isn't funny. The Old Testament is funny. There are moments in the Old Testament which are just truly funny. And they're always funny because we're suffering in some way. So, like, you remember in Exodus where Moses brings the Israelites out into the, into the desert? And, like, and sometimes it's translated as, like, grumbling. And sometimes it's translated as complaining. And they say, why did you bring us out here? <laughs> like, we're going to starve in the desert? At least when we were in Egypt, like, you know, we got to eat meat and stuff. Why shouldn't we die there instead of dying out here? That's like you could hear Larry David through the bible like delivering that as a joke it's so funny and so for there's something about the project of, of eliminating the existence of 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 jewish outsiderness of jewish fear and creating jewish military hegemony which to me is an offense to jewish humor but which is also an offense to what it means to me to be a jew
1: i think that like on the jewish left we have some work to do in terms of like owning what we think the conversations should be and a lot of times we're kind of either like letting the ADL speak up and own the conversation or like complaining about the extent to which they do and not like figuring out like what do we actually have to say about anti-semitism who is our audience and for me as a Black Jew that's working on issues of whiteness in the Jewish community on issues of like anti-semitism and Christian hegemony with the Black community and figuring out like where are we getting stuck where are we getting hung up
3: I have such a, like, reflexively, I kind of, like, recoil at them being equated. They're not the same
1: thing at all. Like, I'm spending a lot more time working on whiteness in the Jewish community than I am, like, doing these talks on, on anti-Semitism, for example, because of the scale. But where it becomes important is like the unfortunate reality that more attention is going to be paid to Black anti-Semitism in these cases. And like I, that term, Black anti-Semitism, I don't think that's like a real and specific and unique thing. It's like American anti-Semitism as it can manifest in Black communities. But it's still worth, as Black folks, us having a conversation about where and how this does come up, because it does matter. The roots of it are also, I think, an interesting and worthwhile thing for us to engage as Black folks, too, because, like, how do we come to have these ideas? The roots of them are in, like, European Christianity, which was forced on Black people through slavery, and we've, like, turned, in some cases, into liberation theology, in other cases, still manifests in, like, really regressive ways, whether it's, like, misogyny, homophobia, and, like, anti-Semitism is kind of interwoven into these same narratives. You know, part of grappling with that is grappling with ourselves and thinking about, what are the ideas about ourselves and other people that we take on how do we fit into a power structure that like the only way you can push yourself forward is like to be part of oppressing black folks indigenous folks and, and other groups it's like it's a mess yeah
3: i agree and i think the interest to me as a black person and what i think would be really valuable to black people in this country especially is like If you want to understand what race is, like how it is that people come to be a racial other, you kind of have to understand anti-Semitism. And in that way, we are like incredibly similar. And so I think that that's like really valuable. And I also think that's back to what you were saying, Sam, about like how it's sort of this like really pernicious way of being like pro-Israel. I remember when like the tiny thing first happened and there was like let's understand anti-semitism 101. Here are like a bunch of words that are used as like a dog whistle to mean Jewish people. And one of them was like, banker. (laughs) One is like Zionist. And I was like, Oh, whoa. Like you're saying that people, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, Oh, that's like, what, like, that's going to become the point. Like I can't help but think that like, yes, like Farrakhan is an idiot and is like a famous anti semite But if you think about the fact that he's 25% right, which is like his first point was like Jewish people have no claim to Israel. And then the similarities between like, you know, the thing we have in common with them is we're also like a stateless people, which is like he paralleled like Black American identity and Jewish American identity. in like what is like a really fascinating way. But everyone was kind of like, no, like we're not stateless, actually.
2: I've thought like since the beginning of Kanye coming out and doing his anti-Semitic stuff that on the one hand, we know part of it is like he watched like Candace Owens documentary. But a lot of the stuff he's saying is obviously because he's got NOI friends. There's no question. I just think that's not really that's not really legible to an audience. And then and, and I actually think that like people like the ADL and a lot of white Jews want to like completely ignore that part of it, which is not exculpating. I don't think that
1: they're ignoring that at all. Actually, like if you look at the ADL dossiers, they do have a lot of stuff explaining. Black nationalist religions, like the Nation of okay. Islam and Black Hebrew Israelites. And they're actually what they do that I think is kind of problematic is like connecting like when Black Lives Matter, for example, or like Movement for Black Lives does work with Palestinians. They'll like yeah. connect it.
2: Oh, that's anti-Semitic. Yeah. And right.
1: also, I want to say like the, the politics of Farrakhan are like ultimately like anti-abortion, homophobic, transphobic. And anti-Semitic. Absolutely. And so to conflate this, and also people were doing this with like Alice Walker, like trying to sort of conflate these different, actually like opposing black political ideologies
2: with like a liberationist project.
1: Yeah. yeah. And like you can have an analysis of race, like Farrakhan does, and still actually be functionally like conservative and in service yeah, yeah, of white supremacy. Yeah. And like people see black people and like, oh, that's the left. And that's a tendency that you do see that like a conflation that happens no. when some of these Jewish groups are talking about. Black folks. So I I think that they do actually in some cases. like They
2: are talking about it, yeah. You're you're probably right, yeah. I was thinking more like it's like progressive white Jews who want to like collapse the difference between like fucking alt-right anti-Semitism and a kind of black anti-Semitism that Kanye might have encountered by knowing a lot of like old heads in Chicago, which is different.
3: Like what is black anti-Semitism? Is it just like when black people are anti-Semitic? Or it's like, it's not a, I don't know. You're right, though. Like, you know, like, again, like, I have so many, like, NOI and, like, black Hebrew Israelites. And I think that what's really funny to me is I think they would be delighted to know that people take them this seriously. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, like, one person, like, ranting at the table that's like, we gotta go back to Israel. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh. And I think people would be, like, astonished to be like, there are people who think that you're an actual threat. You know what I mean?
2: I think what you just said, Jasmine, is a really important point. That's what I mean is like the conflation of this kind of what tends to be a very impotent NOI style anti Semitism with the kind of anti-Semitism that like progressive groups are really concerned about on like a like massive scale It's just like conservative
3: black nationalism.
2: Yeah. It's just conservative black nationalism. Like
3: if there is like a really good lesson to be learned that like a certain type of conservatism encompasses all of these like anti-blackness, anti-Semitism, you know what I mean? And then it's like the proof that like anti-Semitism and like anti-blackness aren't given the same heft is like, well, he did deny slavery also and everyone was fine with it. (laughs) Yeah. Like,
2: Kept the Adidas deal then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay. But this is where it doesn't solve, it doesn't solve anything. And Rebecca's right that it doesn't necessarily set up even a particularly good conversation. But it is very funny when Chappelle says at the end, "I hope they don't take anything from me, whoever they are." It's not like a a moral joke. It's not a progressive joke. But there's something like funny about that. It points to something real about a sort of insatisfactory aspect of our discourse. He doesn't want to have the very, very intelligent conversation that Rebecca would lead about what this is all about. But it it is funny. I'm sorry.
3: You
1: can laugh. Don't it reminds be sorry me of for this, laughing.
3: Like, it reminds me of like this like Jewish comedian I saw like years ago in Chicago and he was like, you know, Jewish people, we've become white. It's confusing. Like you don't don't know how we feel about it yet. Or he's like, we become white. Don't know how we feel about it yet. Like And I was like, oh, sometimes it does still seem like that
0: sometimes in this country. That's
1: that's something we should hold. Like, I want white Jews to hold on to that discomfort and, like, think about what that means and wrestle with it and, like, come up with something, a different thing to be. And, like, that's easier said than done. But we have, and this is to your point, Sam, earlier, we need to not hold on to victimhood for victimhood's sake, but remember what it fucking feels like. Because we do know it's in our living memory. It's in our, like, epigenetics if you want to go there remember what that means yeah. and not just for yourself but have it be the basis of some empathy
3: yeah.
1: i think we could all
0: use a little empathy you know sam i'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the thing you were saying to me over text the other day about seeing like a, a like upswing in like frog style yeah. uh, anti-semitism like all right all right and i thought rebecca might Be able to jump in there too.
2: I mean, what I'm about to say is like very much not in keeping with everything that I've said in the podcast so far, which is that like I'm not that worried about anti Semitism and that I think it's very funny. (laughs) But it is true that, you know, I cover the right and I do a podcast about the right. And in terms of the like really hardcore online alt right, a lot of them are anonymous sort of Twitter accounts. Their names are known by people who are obsessed with. You know reactionary politics, but their their identities are not. That I think there is sort of a moment of anti semitism coming back into normal discourse, and that it's something like the end of the like hangover from Charlottesville, that there was a chastening of these groups and their proximity to the like mainstream right, which is beginning to unravel. And I do find that concerning, and I think that like. I I, I tend to, and maybe more so than I should, think of that phenomenon as separate from the way that we're having this conversation very publicly about people like Kanye and Kyrie. Though the fact that Kanye did kind of come by some of his anti-Semitic ideas through Candace Owens, who is like in the employ of Ben Shapiro and the kind of contact between that part of the right and the alt-right is not negligible, that there could be something going on here. Though I do want to say that spending time, some very unpleasant time, with that part of the alt-right, the far-right, they hate black people so much that Kanye and Kyrie or any of these black people who are voicing plausibly anti-Semitic things are not seen as like allies of their movement. It might be like a good chance to make a joke. But these people that I'm describing, you know, they're white nationalists, they're white supremacists. They despise black people at least as much as they despise Jews.
1: I don't think that like the the real like Nazi types who really do hate black people. I don't think they're seeing like Kanye or Chappelle as like their allies, but like they're very willing to take advantage of what they see as the normalization of their narratives. So like the first thing I even heard about Chappelle before I even heard his monologue was like, I saw someone I know who monitors like the far right tweeting what they were saying about it. And like, there's like one of these accounts that's like, saying the dave chappelle thing is great talking about the reality of jewish power is being normalized he's doing it in a very soft and respectable way and so like i think that they're aware of the cultural currency that black folks do have in this country Mm. and the visibility and they're perfectly willing as much as they hate black people and think that we're lesser and all this stuff to like take advantage of that and like yeah. see their ideas being popularized. And it's not inconceivable yeah. that some little weirdo on the internet who like loves hip hop and is also being blackpilled is like seeing these things at the same totally. time and is like right. doing the like the weird connecting the dots with like conspiracy is all about. So like yeah, for yeah. me, if we're gonna talk about like the real danger, if we're going to use that term around this. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the extent to which it can be taken advantage of. And just like the the ecosystem of conspiracy on the internet that is both like fueling Kanye and Kyrie to a certain extent, and is fueling the far right, it kind of doesn't care so much about the origins of this stuff, as long as these ideas are being sort of normalized and brought to the fore.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you're right about that. I mean, that's, that's why the kind of work and conversations that you're trying to have are so important, because you have to distinguish... You have to generate the conditions for solidarity. And if you don't do that, then you can give these real like nasty reactionary freaks away to use black celebrities to forward their cause.
0: This has been On the Nose, the Jewish Currents podcast. Thanks so much to Rebecca, Jasmine, and Sam for joining us today. And thank you to everyone tuning in.